Hi, and welcome to another episode of Engage with Eagle Form, a podcast to encourage the modern day woman in her vital role in shaping society. I'm Tabitha Walter, one of your hosts and the political director of Eagle Form. And I'm joined by Eagle Forum board member and former executive director, Glenn McKay. Hi everyone. Today we're bringing you a special three-part series on schools. We know many of you are considering what to do with your kids in the fall. Do you send them to school with all the parameters and restrictions? Do you stick with virtual learning? Do you pivot to homeschool? There are so many questions and not enough answers. So this series is our effort to help you in your thought process. We'll be interviewing a public school principal from Texas, a former homeschool mom from Tennessee, and a policy expert who works in the United States Senate. We hope this conversation is helpful and that above all, you are affirmed and encouraged. We're beginning this episode with the principal of Lynn Hill Elementary School in Arlington, Texas, soon to be Dr. Natasha Harris. Natasha grew up in Ennis, Texas, and graduated from Ennis High School in 2000. From there, she attended Baylor University and earned a BA in speech communication with a minor in music. She discovered her calling to become an educator in 2007 and started her teaching career that fall. She served in other schools for six years before joining Arlington ISD in 2013. And in 2016, Natasha earned a master's degree in education administration from Lamar University, and she is currently pursuing her doctorate in K-12 educational leadership at Baylor University. Outside of school, she enjoys spending time with her husband and three school-aged children, as well as serving as a worship leader at her church. Gosh, you are just a busy gal. <laughs> Thanks for being with us, Natasha. Yeah, so thank you so much for having me here. That's actually an understatement. I'm very busy. <laughs> so first, we wish you the best as you begin your dissertation. Thank you. um, but tell us a little more about your story, your calling, and your passion for being an administrator in public schools. Yes, yeah, so, um, you know, we always have that person that has inspired us along our journey of life. And so that person for me um, was my aunt. Um, she was an educator and she started me out very early, um, probably before I was walking, um, with just, you know, instilling that love of learning in me. And um, uh, she's not with us anymore, but I attribute her dedication and her love and her passion for education um, as um, just being that driver for me to pursue this um, career and this calling uh, for education in serving our, our children. Um, but uh, for me, uh, I, education was my ticket out of my life uh, situation and circumstance. I grew up in a single family home. Um, I lived in, I guess you would say public housing in a, that type of situation growing up. Um, so we had a lot of challenges um, in my family. And I knew early on, I probably would say around sixth grade, that if I wanted to change the circumstances of my life and the trajectory of my life, that I would have to do that through um, this platform of public education and learning and, and giving my best in everything that I do. And so that's what I did. Um, we moved to Ennis when I was in fourth grade, and um, I just, you know, went from there. Being an honor student, uh, being in the band, being in the choir, National Honor Society, you know, all those types of clubs, you name it. 
I had one teacher who uh, really took an interest in me and pushed me, and that was my choir teacher, Miss Owens. And um, she told me, she said, Natasha, you have such potential. She's like, give this your all. You are going to do great things in this world. You just don't know it yet. And I, I'm still keeping contact with her. And um, so she um, encouraged me to pursue music, which is how I ended up at Baylor University. Um, I actually received a scholarship at Baylor uh, for the music department. And so um, while I didn't finish in music, I do have a minor in music. And um, I enjoyed my time there. I enjoyed my time at Baylor, um, just being in the Christian atmosphere and learning and, you know, having that mold me to who I am. Um, but I still, education was on, on the back burner for me. It, it was not in that forefront. Um, you know, God has a time and a place for when, when he really, there, there's always that moment that inspires you to do certain things in life. And so when I graduated college, I went into the workforce and my aunt always told me, she kept telling me, you are going to make a great teacher one day. And I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. Teachers don't make enough money. Not doing it. Um, but lo and behold, uh, one year within the workforce um, in the company that I worked for, I was asked to lead a um, junior achievement program for our company and go out into the public schools and teach business and economics. It was a full curriculum. And I did that for within two months. I said, oh my God, I, I love this. I want to be a teacher. And so I got my teaching, cert, my alternative certification, which, you know, if you have uh, a degree, you can go through a program to get alternatively certified. And I did that. And, um, I, and I had my first child that year. And so that's 2007. And as soon as I had him that fall, I uh, had him in March that fall, I was a teacher. And that was the best decision I ever made. And here I am with 16 years later and still just so thankful that everything lined up the way it was supposed to be in the right time and the right moment to get me where I needed to be um, in education. And I, I love being a teacher. I was in the classroom for nine years. In that span of nine years, I taught third, fourth, and fifth grade. Um, and it was year six for me that um because i never saw myself as a leader it was always someone seeing the potential in me um to to be better and and to do better and um it was year six um i was in a new school and several teachers just kept encouraging me you know you would make a great principal one day like thank you for for being a mentor to me and thank you for helping me through this and i i'm just serving you know that that was just what i was doing and so that um, kind of ignited that fire in me that, hmm, maybe I should look into this. And so that following year was when I came to Arlington ISD and I started my master's degree. I had just gotten married and, um, and, uh, and yeah, it, it was just, I, I said, okay, let, let's start. I told my husband, we're getting married, but I'm starting my master's degree, just FYI. And I did, started my master's degree, and in the course of my master's degree, had two kids at the same time all throughout that period. So yeah, started my master's degree in the summer of 2016, had my honeymoon baby, which is my daughter. Uh, she had her in September. Um, so I took that fall off, started back up in the spring, and then that summer found out, surprise, 
baby Noah. <laughs> uh, yes. And, and so, but we said, you know, we, we prayed about it because my husband had to take a walk. He was so scared. So we had to pray about it. And so we prayed about it. And then I had Noah February of 2016 and graduated in May of 2016. Wow. Um, and then God has just been opening doors. Um, I became an assistant principal immediately. Um, served for two years at the as the assistant principal here at Hale Elementary. And um, this, you know, became the principal right after that. Um, didn't know that was my path. I thought I would be an assistant principal longer. And now here I am. Uh, this will be my third year as the principal now of Lynn Hale Elementary. And just, it, it is such a blessing. I, I just, I, I wake up with joy every morning knowing that I'm fulfilling my purpose. Because I get to serve others. I get to serve not only children and be an influence in their lives, but I get to serve adults and help them reach their full potential and grow to be who they are destined to become, while in turn growing myself to be whoever it is that I'm destined to become as well. So I'm telling you, education has saved my life. Public education has saved my life. Um, and so I'm just honored to even be here with you, the two of you, to even share my story and, and to speak on um, these important topics. Well, I love so many things in your story I want to follow up on. Of course, we don't have time for that. I will say sick on bears. Uh, so glad to have a fellow Baylor bear on the, on the podcast. Um, but you remind me a few episodes back, we were talking to an individual who um, has a, sim has a similar story and his point was, you are not bound to the circumstances you're born into. And you are such a testimony of that and how God took that and your passion and drive and dedication and you are living this beautiful, abundant life now. So thank you for sharing all of that with us. That's so good. But you mentioned your children, so your mom of three. What has it been like trying to lead your teachers and your students through this pandemic while also finishing your coursework for your doctorate and homeschooling your children at the same time? How have you found balance in it all? Yeah, so people ask me that all the time. My <laughs> answer is always the grace of God. <laughs> Amen. You know, and I, you know, I have a very supportive husband who I attribute a lot of my success to. Um, but, you know, it is it's challenging, you know, just being very transparent and honest, it is challenging. But it is first knowing who you are and being grounded in your values of, you know, what do I value most and prioritizing those values within your life. And so, you know, we have to set schedules. We have to set boundaries um, and limits on certain things. Um, and so I, before everything happened with COVID and having to homeschool the kids, you know, I was always that one, that early riser, I'm an early riser, you know, and try to get as much done while everybody's asleep. And so that I continued on with that, but, you know, it was, it was a, a change, it was a transition that had to take place in the home to accommodate all that we had to do moving forward with the homeschooling. And so it's really more about systems. We had to put systems in place. We had to put those procedures in place. And so uh, we have a schedule at home that we've created um, with everyone's name and they know what they're supposed to be doing, how many minutes they're supposed to be doing uh, within that day. And thankfully I have a very um, mature, wonderful, loving, supportive 13 year old who helps out with the four and five year old. Yes. He has played an important role 
you know, and it's teaching him responsibility um, of, you know, supporting, you know, mom and dad while they're still trying to work um, and, and helping out. And so, which is really good. And um, having conversations, you have to have conversations with your kids. They know that um, when mommy's at her desk is mommy's work time. And we know, you know, mommy needs that time. And we know also that mommy's going to give us her time. You know, so it may be a moment where my oldest will come and say, hey, mom, and I'll say, you know, I just need 30 minutes. And he said, okay, guys, mom just needs 30 more minutes. And they know that how many times, you know, mom may be gone for 30 minutes, but mom's going to give me about 15 minutes of her individual time. I have to always continue to go back and give them time so that it's not, oh, she just sits at her computer all day and doesn't really pay attention to me. And so because we, we have to realize they're going through a lot too. So systems and support. So having those systems in place helps, you know, me homeschool my kids while I lead a school and then also support because not only do I have support from my husband at home, but I have support from an amazing team of educators and staff that help support the school because it's I am not a one person show. I am not. I have a, a brilliant group of beautiful minds that also work alongside me and help and support our staff and students. And so I, I, it's never just me, it's the whole team that makes the ship sail. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. So Natasha, you are not only an educator, but you've made it very clear that you are a mom of three children, correct? Yes. And um, that you are trying to split your time between being an educator and being a mom. And so for all the moms who are at home right now trying to figure out what's best for their children, um, but also trying to figure out what's best for their workplace right now, um, how, what kind of encouragement would you give them when they're just pulled in a million different directions? Um, you know, I talked about being grounded in your values before. And I think that's so important. It's important to first be reflective because the noise hijacks us. Mm -hmm. And we have to be able to recognize when that happens. And so when you recognize that the noise is hijacking you and the noise can be the media, you know, just knowing what's going on with COVID, um, work being overwhelming, being overwhelmed by the kids and the responsibilities of the home, you have got to have that moment of, let me stop. Mm. Let me listen to me. Let me breathe. Let me pray. You know, um, whenever I have those moments of anxiety or being overwhelmed with the noise in my life, I just go in my quiet place, whether that is me hiding in the, my bathroom or in my closet because my kids know where my hiding places are and I don't have too many to go or the pantry that's a good one but they're always in the pantry because they're always eating right we all have that right with kids and so finding that place go sit in your car and just stop and breathe and just be present in the moment and know that you know you will get through anything because you have God on your side and that's what I have to always go back to. God is going to bring us all through all of this. He's going to bring me through this. Right now I'm having a moment. Yeah. Let me breathe. Let me reflect. 
And sometimes you even have to, you know, when I have those moments, I always think about something funny. I have, I'll keep like a few really hilarious videos of my kids doing something crazy to make me laugh. Laughter is the cure of everything. I love to laugh. And so just even that, and then go back and then process, you know, what's going on and say, okay, here's what, what's going on in this moment. Now, what can I do to either improve this, get through this, make it better, think through it, you know, and, and it's, it's always good to even have a think partner. We had a situation today and I had to bring in two other people. So y'all help me think through this. And we did. And we, and I'm like, okay. And I felt good about it. And I'm like, okay, thank you. You know? And so, you know, just reflection is key. You have to do that. And you have to give yourself time because as mothers, we always give, 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 because that's our nature is to give our family, give to others, but you also have to give to yourself. And it's okay. It's okay to give back to yourself. And we have to learn to not be afraid to do that. And so I think, you know, when we're going through the noise, and we're being hijacked at those times, you have to just stop, listen, reflect, breathe, process, and then clarity will come. Yeah. Uh, So your comments made me think about, you know, all of the airline instructions where they say if a mask drops down you put it on yourself first and then you put it on the next person next to you or your child or whoever needs it and but at some point you have to put that mask back on your face and so I think you totally hit the nail on the head when it comes to just taking a calm moment and refocusing mm-hmm. yeah. love that in fact we travel with our toddlers all the time and they stop the flight attendants will stop and say, you know, put your mask on first. And there is such a spiritual, like, I'm so reminded of if I'm not giving myself air spiritually, physically, emotionally, then I can't help my children or my husband in any way. So that's a good word, Tabitha. I like that. (laughs) So let's shift to talking a little bit about this coming school year. Um, So originally you're in Arlington ISD, the school district can make plans Arlington, Texas, clarification, ISD, but um, the district made plans to open as usual in the fall with the option of virtual learning. Then um, on the 21st, the county issued guidelines that no one would return to school until after September 28th. So I know there are caveats for those needing special education and for those who don't have internet, et cetera, at home, but walk us through what will this actually look like for your teachers and your students? Help our listeners understand that. Yes. So, um, you know, I am so blessed to be in a district that um, has a heart for people. Mm. Um, And and not saying that other districts don't, but I can only speak to the district that I'm in. And we are taking the necessary um, um, procedures to make sure that everyone is safe. And, you know, our, we're, of course, you know, making decisions based on science versus making decisions based on emotion. Um, And that's hard for some people sometimes because everyone has their own emotion of what they feel uh, certain decisions should dictate and be made. And so, um, you know, based on the Tarrant County Health Department's decision to make sure that school only open virtually, that is what we're doing. And so what we know for sure is that schools will open and start August 17th what we know for sure is we will be 100% virtual online. (laughs) What we know for sure is that we are taking the steps necessary right now to make sure that our teachers are adequately equipped to provide 
high quality virtual learning to all of our students. Now, um, there, there is the question of, well, what about our students with special needs? We have an army of people. We have so many task force going on of what that's going to look like and how we are going to support students. And, you know, what I know for sure is that as a parent, I am so confident that the decisions that are made from our, our leadership within our districts will make sure and ensure that students are giving the support that they need, the education that is going to help them thrive, and that, you know, right now, this is temporary. The virtual learning is temporary. That is 100%. At some point, we will go back to school. We just don't know the when, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, families just got to put, you know, that the trust and faith in the education system just to make sure and to make sure that, um, you know, the students will be educated. You know, it's not the way we want it to be. It's not the way we've ever imagined because we are going through uncharted waters right now. And know that everyone in the system is doing the best that they can to make sure that students are being educated and students are continuing to learn. Because even teachers, all, all of us, you know, I have children in the public system um, in education and I have to put my faith in, in their leadership within their schools to know that my, ch my children are gonna be educated. And so, I mean, that, that's kind of where we are right now. Um, we're still in the process of making decisions. We don't have all the answers right now. Um, I was in a three-hour meeting today, you know? And so, you know, we're, we're all working. Everybody's working. And I, I'm confident. I, I'm not, I have no worries of, uh, or anxiety of what August 17th is going to look like for our students. August 17th is going to be a day of uh, of learning. It's going to be a day of getting back to the excitement of school. It's going to be a day of getting to meet the teacher in the class um, virtually, right? Um, but it's going to be school. It's just going to be school in a different way. Right. Well, you had mentioned that um, a lot of people have just different opinions, and so I'm sure you're hearing a lot of those opinions, but um, teachers kind of have a double, double whammy right now because they are trying to shift to a different type of teaching situation. Um, and some of them are moms and have children at home. So what are you hearing from the teachers in your school? Mm -hmm. um, you know, the teachers, the big thing that I'm hearing is that they wish we could come to school. They yeah. wish that they could see their kids. They wish that they could hug them, you know, um, but they also know that we have to keep everyone safe. Right. And um, so the teachers are excited. They are excited to come back to school. They're excited to get their rooms ready. Um, they're just, even my new teachers there, I mean, they're blowing up my phone. <laughs> they are ready to come back. Um, but, you know, there's always an unknown, but you know, every school year is that way, whether we're in person or not, you never know what you're gonna get. You never know what the year is gonna be like. Um, but, you know, we still have the same systems in place. We're still going to be covering the same content. And the good thing about it is we are preparing um, our virtual learning to um, um, be very fluid in that what we're doing virtually will transfer seamlessly into in-person when we get to that point. Um, it's just, you know, 
while your teacher could potentially be at home teaching you and you are watching your teacher via Zoom, or you could have your teacher actually in the classroom and, and actually direct teaching, but yet you're at home watching her from, you know, the comfort of your own home in your pajamas. Um, who knows? But I will say, you know, the teachers, they still have concerns. They still have questions. They still have that, um, you know, some may have the concern of, well, I have family members who are, um, who have um, pre-existing conditions that, you know, I have to keep myself safe. So I don't want, I can't come to school to do this and that. And we, um, I can honestly say that our district is taking all of that into consideration and, um, you know, looking at how we can support our teachers. Um, we may have teachers that want to come to school to do their, you know, direct their teaching virtually. Um, and so we're giving teachers that option. We're giving teachers option. If you are not comfortable with that, then you can stay home. We are listening to our teachers. Um, we, our district had a six hour board meeting. Yes, and I watched it twice. <laughs> And um, community members and teachers, the beauty of it is, I would say half of the speakers were teachers, hmm. you know, and their voices were heard. And we've had so many surveys and task force and, and opportunities for our teachers and to hear our voice. And I can honestly say that I fully believe that our district is making decisions based on the voice of teachers and the voice of parents, but also based on the voice of what's right for all. Yeah. We can't make everybody happy. We're doing the best that we can and making the best decisions to keep everybody safe. I love that. I feel like so many times when you're listening to the media or reading social media, they it feels like the messaging takes um, the humanity out of it. And as you're talking, I'm just reminded of, well, I see your passion for these each individual child and hearing about your teachers. I, Tabitha and I are both products of public school and my mom's a public school teacher. My mother-in-law's a public school teacher and it is such a calling. I just, I just loved so much of what you said, but um, kind of on that same note of different experiences and backgrounds, uh, I was scrolling social media the other day, which I try not to do as much <laughs> these days, but one of my friends had posted very simply, homeschool your kids. And I can appreciate the idea that, you know, it's a call to parents, take control of your child's education. Now more than ever, you are responsible for your child. Um, and I think this pandemic has only stressed that, but this homeschooling private school, it's just not an option for many Americans. So can you expound on that idea and just give us some insight into your world, into the children who are coming into your school? What are some of the challenges that they're facing, um, that their families are facing? And how does that complicate things when you're talking about schooling from home versus the physical classroom? Right. Um, you know, not everyone has the same um, circumstance, life circumstance there are so many people with different challenges and while one person can say everybody should homeschool their children that's fine but not everyone has a, the same circumstance and life situation that are equipped to be able to do that um at our school we serve a population of 100 percent low socioeconomic students wow. and so what that looks like is you may have um, students who are coming from one parent homes where um, one or both parents um, work full-time jobs or they're not even living with their parents. They may be uh, raised by grandparents or other guardians. 
um, you never know. Um, and we actually serve a high population of students that come from neighboring apartments. Um, you know, for example, we have a program um, on our campus uh, called Bridge Kids, uh, where we have so many kids that walk and we're on a major street. Yeah. So a group of us, and uh, we partner with Arlington Police Department, and a group of us uh, staff members walk the kids to make sure that they're safe to get to the apartments and the police officers meet us because we have students that even walk across a bridge. Oh, wow. And the police officers walk them across the bridge. And so we've been doing that. We've had that program for probably the last seven years. Um, the Arlington Police Department even won awards because of it. But you have to take all of that into consideration. Um, we have, there's families hurting right now. There's families that are um, in a situation where they are struggling of how to even navigate through the virtual because you, there are kids that may be left at home having to go through this on their own, you know? And so while it's easy for us to say everybody should homeschool their kids, that's just not the society that we live in to be able to do that. If everyone had the same income and, um, you know, lifestyle, um, then maybe we could be in that situation. But what people fail to realize is how were how the doctors in our society educated? How are the lawyers educated? How are the pastors educated? How were you educated? The majority of us went through public schooling. And it's not that public school is broken, is that we need to do look at it and say, how can we strengthen it? Not how can we tear it down? Not how can we replace it with something else? You know, while homeschool is great, home, enough, there's nothing wrong with homeschool. Homeschool is wonderful for those who can do that. Yeah. Private school is wonderful for those who can afford that. But we have to look at society as a whole, not pockets of people. And so, um, in the end, it's what is best for all. Not what's mm-hmm. best for some, but what's best for all. And that's where our leaders have to make those decisions on, you know, we can't make decisions for just one group of people. We have to make decisions that's going to benefit all. And so when we look at students, we, we're looking at, you know, all students. How can we benefit all students? Students who come with challenges, um, students who excel, students who uh, have special needs. How can we support everyone? Because we need to, in some way, support everyone. There may be some parents, and I I know this for sure because we have special programs on our campus, who are not equipped to uh, provide certain services to their kids, whether it's dyslexia, whether um, their kids um, have physical disabilities or um, intellectual disabilities where they need extra supports. Well, that's where the educators come into play who are trained for that, just like your doctor you may need to go to a pediatrician or a cardiologist because that person's trained for the heart, right? It's the same way with education. We all have our specialties and and that's why we're in our position. But education, when we look at education as a whole, education and public education has been what we have had and has sustained our society, period. And it's not the fact that we tear it down and we talk about it or we debunk it. It's how can we support it? How can we make it better so that our kids can thrive? Yeah, yeah that's good. Um, I, I Obviously, Glenn said earlier that we're, we both went to public school and, hey, we turned out okay. 
<laughs> yeah. So when considering the two options that parents will likely have after September 28th, what should parents be thinking through when deciding whether or not to have their child attend in person or virtually? You know, at the end of the day, it's all about safety. And, and we can't implicate the safety of our children or others. And so when parents are making the decision whether or not to homeschool or uh, return to in-school when that happens, you have to ask yourself, am I even in a position to be able to homeschool my child? Um, what are the safety measures that the schools are taking to ensure the safety of my children and the safety of others in the building? Um, what is it that I can do to ensure the safety of my child if I choose in-person schooling? So every situation is going to be different. Every parent's um, circumstance in their life is going to be different. That is going to dictate their decision um, because there are parents who need it. There are parents who are are going to need the in-person. Um, you know, looking at our district and other districts, um, looking at the parent response from the board me meetings, it's really dead even. It it's almost 50-50, um, give or take some, of in-person and virtual. And so parents just have to dig deep and look into what, what is it that, uh, what's the best decision for their family? Um, at the end of the day, we are going to be here. We are going to be here ready to educate your child, whether it's in a virtual format or whether it is in person. Um, and so just families have to make the best decision for them, for them. Neither one is right or wrong. It's just what's best for you. Natasha, you posted the other day that the Texas Education Agency, which is the department that oversees education in the state of Texas, wants to resume standardized testing this year. So what's the update on that? And how does TEA expect success in the current climate? So at this point, um, TEA has released that um, schools and school districts will still be required to um, adhere to standardized testing. Um, there, at this time, we don't have an update on that. Um, the focus has now been, since that release, the focus has been on um, what the opening of schools will look like. Um, so, you know, people have varying opinions on standardized testing. Um, there are pros and cons to it. Um, but at this time, that's not our top priority. Our top priority is um, on what is school going to look like August 17th when we open virtually and how are we going to support students. At the end of the day, we still are going to continue to measure progress uh, we're going to ensure that we are providing um, high quality um, learning now in a virtual format instead of in person. Um, but we, we just uh, at this time make sure that students continue to learn and continue to grow. Um, that is the priority now. The standardized testing, it, it's something that we have to do, um, but um, we'll, we'll get through it. And we're just going to continue to make sure that our students thrive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as we wrap up, you know, we've had a lot of conversations lately and we've kind of alluded to it in this podcast, but about the inequities and the disparities across America, um, education plays a huge part in all of that data. So 
you know, one of the reasons I, we wanted to have you on, um, disclaimer, Natasha and I know each other in real life, but my husband is part of a mentoring program that you have been a, a huge supporter of at your school. And I'm just wondering, you know, people, for people on the outside, those who may not have a child in the public school system right now, um, how can they, um, help support or engage with or encourage teachers and students, especially those who are considered at risk? You know, what are some things our listeners can be thinking about to help improve public education in America, like we were talking about? Yes. So um, our students, you know, like I said before, students come with different challenges, different backgrounds, um, different family home lives. Mm -hmm. And for us to truly reach our kids, um, and help them reach their full potential, we have to invest in them. It's more than just the parents. It's more than just the teachers. We as a community have to join together. You've all heard the term, it takes a village to raise a child. It truly does take a village to raise a child. And thankfully, we were able to partner uh, with Kids Hope USA at our school um, and uh, have a group of amazing mentors come and spend time with just investing in the life of a child. Um, one hour a week, you know? Um, think about that, one hour of taking time to invest in a child. That's one episode of a TV sitcom. That is um, maybe a walk that you may take. That is one hour of on social media, right? Yeah. Um, or two or three. But, you know, one hour of just getting to know a child, letting them know how much they are loved and how much they are valued, that is how we sustain the, the, the success of, of who we are as humans, of, of who we are as a people and who we are as, as a community, and, and just build on that and grow. Um, and, and so it does. It, it's it's, it's very important to have individuals um, that kids can look up to. Mm -hmm. I, that's, that's what influenced me. I had my aunt. Yeah. She invested in me. I had my teacher, Miss Owens. She invested in me. You know, I've had people along the way who didn't know they invested in me and that invested mm -hmm. in me. And that's who we have to be for our kids there's so much more to school than the academics mm -hmm. and there's so much that we can give as parents to our kids it takes a village it takes others investing in our kids to support them as well too because i can honestly say there's times when my 13 year old does not want to talk to me but he'll talk to his theater teacher because he likes his theater teacher right yeah. and it's about the relationships and so we we've got we have got to not be afraid of partnering with other people to help support our ch our children and help them be the best little humans that they are that they are and will eventually the adults that we're raising in our society to be because they're going to be the leaders they're going to be taking care of us yeah <laughs> right, so who are we raising to take care of us that's what we <laughs> Right. Well, those are, so, I mean, you made so many good points and it's something we had actually talked with um, uh, a Senate staffer earlier today and we were talking about the American Academy of Pediatrics in one of their journals. There's actually been an article published that talks about how we have to focus on minimizing the adverse, uh, like social developmental um, 
those adverse effects that children are experiencing during this time, but I don't think this is just for today either. So we definitely want to encourage our listeners, you know, there, I'm sure there are more programs, mentoring programs like Kids Hope, but look, call up your local school and ask, how can you be helpful in this time and moving forward? Because that's the only way we're going to change outcomes for so many of um, our children. Who are the future, like you pointed out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We need you. We need volunteers. We need mentors. And while it's going to look different this year, um, there are ways to be able to support schools and to support students. And then when we are back together face-to-face, we need you. Yeah. Well, thank you, Natasha, for being on with us today. We so value your insight and understanding and appreciate all of your thoughts. So Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate both of you and the work that you're doing is wonderful. And thank you so much. Absolutely. Now we'd like to introduce you to Francis Arthur. Francis has taught high school, middle school, and elementary school in public, homeschool, and homeschool cooperative settings over the last 30 years. As a lifelong learner, she has developed a skill set which allows her to effectively teach government, politics, economics, American, and world history. Frances is very involved in her community and in her church. She and her husband, Dale, have two sons who were both homeschooled through their graduation from high school. Both of them currently serve in the U.S. Armed Forces. Thank you for your service, Frances, in that way. Frances is heavily involved in the Tennessee Republican Party, and since 2011, she's been serving as the Teen Eagle Director for the Tennessee Eagle Forum. In her spare time, she plans small events and weddings for family and close friends, and also manages to spend 8 to 11 hours each week on a dance floor, improving her skills in Latin, swing, and ballroom dance. Frances, you're a renaissance woman. Welcome to the (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Thank you. So tell us a little more about your work with Tennessee Eagle Forum. What do you do as the Teen Eagle Director? What does that look like for your kids? Oh, wow. I love working with teenagers. It's the most fun thing I ever get to do. Um, I teach students. I've got three different groups that meet across the state. We meet once a month. We talk about government, politics, economics, all the stuff that they're concerned about, stuff that comes across the news media to them. And we discuss it, we discuss current events, and uh, as often as possible, I try to teach them um, historical references so that they can see that history doesn't repeat itself, people repeat history, and stupid people repeat stupid history. So, yeah, I, I want, yeah, if we can teach them what happened historically, then they'll, they'll better understand what's happening in their world today. That's great. Yeah, I give them an opportunity to go to the state capitol one day a year and shadow a legislator for a day. Of course, I am a mean teacher and require that they read every bill that that legislator is sponsoring that year uh-huh. before they are allowed to go to the capitol. That way, if, if they you know are sitting in a committee meeting when the legislator's presenting that bill, they will understand the you know the nuances of the bill a little bit better and can participate more actively as they listen to the conversation that's amazing i hadn't even seen a bill until i was well into college which is a disservice honestly but yeah that's important information for every american to know it absolutely is i agree so Frances, as you know, parents are making the hard decision to either continue their child's education in public school or private school, whatever that may look like this year, Mm -hmm. or homeschool their children. Um, 
we had a fabulous conversation with the public school principal, mm -hmm. Natasha, who had a very candid conversation with us about sending your child to public school this fall. You had a post on Facebook that caught our eye where you explained that homeschooling is great for some, but not all. So we thought you would be the perfect person to paint us a picture of what to expect. So first, why did you decide to homeschool your boys? Ben, ben was in kindergarten in a public school. I had been a public school teacher for eight years. I resigned to stay home when we had our second son, David. And I sent Ben to kindergarten because that's what I thought I was supposed to do. Kids are supposed to go to public school. I, meanwhile, was the room mother for kindergartners. So I was there every week and I read stories to students. I went on all the fun field trips and teachers loved me because I knew how to count 30 heads to make sure everybody was on the school bus and, and could keep the, you know, the room managed successfully because I had the experience. So um, I enjoyed doing that for that first year, but I realized along the way two things, two important things. Ben was a class clown. And that child was going to get in trouble. Like mother, like son? I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> the second thing I realized is that there was not, something just not right about how this child was learning. And so at that same time, my husband and I had moved across town to a different church. And I met a lot of homeschooling moms there. I became fast friends with one of the ladies. She had four children and I loved her family. Mm -hmm. They were wonderful. And I thought when, when my sons get older, I want them to be like her sons. So I started doing that. I, I committed the cardinal sin. I started comparing, never compare yourself <laughs> to anybody else. Bad move. But I did. And I realized what the thing she had that I didn't have is she was homeschooling her kids. So I thought maybe that's it. Let me start homeschooling Ben. After homeschooling him for a couple of years, when I, this child wasn't learning to read, he was struggling to write. And so I was having to read all of his lessons to him and writing. Gosh, we just threw that out the door. That was not going to happen. That child was not going to write. Um, I soon found out, well, I say soon, it was about fifth grade when I had him tested and turns out he was dyslexic. Mm. on steroids. That child was the most dyslexic child anybody had ever seen. So I found him a fabulous tutor who taught him to read. And meanwhile, then I'd started homeschooling David. Um, why we started was that that was what I, I thought would be the best decision for my family at that time. And as I look back on it now, I can tell you without a doubt, it was. Mm of all the decisions that I've had to make as the CEO and CFO of the Arthur household, that was the single best one I ever made for my family. Yeah. I've watched other families who have struggled laboriously with homeschooling and it wasn't a great decision for their family. And I'm, some of those are my extended family members. So I know this is not for everybody, mm. but it was absolutely for me. Yeah. So let's tackle a big misconception from recent months. How is homeschooling different from crisis learning? Yeah, that's a big one. You know, now whenever I, I, I monitor several uh, homeschooling Facebook pages mm -hmm. and I keep seeing, okay, well, I'm going to, we decided to homeschool our child, but as soon as all this settles down, we're going to put him back into public schools. That's crisis learning. You're in a crisis. This is a legitimate crisis. 
And for whatever reason, my child has to wear masks, they don't have to wear masks, whatever your reason is, you're still in a crisis situation. And therefore, you need to make different decisions regarding how you're going to go about the homeschooling process with your child than you would if you've decided this is a long-term commitment and we're, we're all in. So your, your curriculum choices will be different. Uh, how you work through your state legal agencies will be different. So de depending on whether you're crisis homeschooling or homeschooling long-term. So that, that I think is the difference. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great comparison. Cause I think a lot of parents may think that their crisis learning or these online classes are essentially the same as homeschooling. And we'll delve into the details a little later in this episode, but um, you'll find that it's very different. It really is. So um, as we speak, parents are making that decision right now. Um, what should moms consider when leaning towards homeschooling? Okay, well, if you're leaning toward homeschooling long-term, then the first thing you really need to do is look at the state laws regarding homeschooling. Every state, homeschooling is legal in all 50 states, but the requirements are quite different among the several states. So you'll need to determine through what means you need to register your child through homeschooling. I, I'm in Tennessee, and so we have three different methods that we can legally use here, whether it's going through a, a church-related umbrella school or going through our local school board or distance learning. So those are our options here, and they're, th while they're similar in most states that I've looked at, they're not exactly the same. So that would be the first thing I would tell you. Uh, the second thing I would tell you is you need to contact your state home education association and again every every state has an organization like this they may have a different title but it's the hea the home education association in your state just do a duck duck go search and find that um, and get in touch with the officers involved with your state program and they can help you uh, determine what steps you need to take next Finally, I would encourage you to find another mom who is a homeschooler who is, you know, close to you and make, ask her to be your mentor. <laughs> you need a mentor. I, the, the woman that first introduced me to, to homeschooling, I, I just truly don't know what I would have done without her at the time. She was the person that I could call and ask her, well, what do I do about this math lesson? I don't, I don't know, know how to teach this science skill. What, what do I do? What, my, my sons have lost their minds today and we can't get anything accomplished successfully. What do I need to do? Uh, we've had a terrible day and I don't want to tell my husband. I would call her and I would vent for 20 minutes and she let me. You need to find that mentor mama to help you. So now that you've homeschooled and lived to tell the story, uh, yeah. where did, what do you wish you had known before you began? I wish I had known the first two years that homeschooling is not public schooling at home. Hmm. Homeschooling is a different way of life. I thought when I first started that I had to make my son sit down at the kitchen table for four hours a day. That was the requirement in Tennessee. And they had to do math lesson and reading lesson and were sitting at the table because that's what they were doing at a public school. And it wasn't until later that I realized, well, we could do this reading lesson while we're sitting outside under the tree in the backyard. So I wish I had known that. That would have made our first two years a little smoother. I wish I had known 
how much help was available to me. And mm -hmm. like, for example, had my older son tested for dyslexia earlier, so I would not have pulled out my hair until he was in fifth grade. Um, that would have been very helpful. I wish I had known about different learning styles. When I was in college majoring in education, I was taught that there were three different learning styles and that was all. You were either an auditory learner, a visual learner, or a tactile learner. There are actually at least seven different means of learning now. And I've, I've had to study this recently. Well, once I learned about these seven different ways that a person can take in information, had I known that, then I, I would have examined my children a little bit closer and determined better why they were or were not learning something that they needed to learn. That's good. Do you have a resource for that? Or, I mean, yes, uh, Dr. Caroline Leaf okay. um, uh, has written several books, one of which is Think, Learn, Succeed. And mm -hmm. in that book, she goes over those seven different learning styles. And there's even a quiz in there for adults. It's not at all geared for students, but for adults to take so you can determine what your learning style is. And once you study these seven styles, then you might better be able to determine what your child's learning style is. It's really good. Even if you don't homeschool, it's yeah. really yeah. good information yes. to have at your fingertips. Definitely. Well, you know, Tabitha, I was going to say, whether or not you decide to homeschool, educating your child is still your job as yeah, a parent. Deuteronomy sure. 6 is quite clear, and it says that we are commanded to teach our children about the Lord as we rise up, when we lie down, when we walk down the road. It's your job to do that. How you go about doing that is where the decision comes in. Am I going to train up my child like this by using a homeschooling method? Am I going to use this private Christian school? Am I going to use a public school? Mm -hmm. Those are all tools at your, at your, you know, for, for you to choose from. Yeah. So you need to choose which way is best going to fit in for you. But either way, it's still your responsibility as the parent. God commanded you to educate your child. Yes. That is yours how. Amen, mm -hmm. sister. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. So, Francis, let's get into the details a little bit. Okay. Um, how will homeschooling affect a family's day-to-day -day life? In every single way you can imagine. <laughs> it really will. Um, gosh, from the time you get up in the morning, okay? till the time you go to bed at night, you are with them 24 seven. So if you don't have a really good support system, you're never going to get away from your children. And that's both a wonderful thing and a horrifying thing for parents, okay? You're going to have to make every single meal forever. <laughs> Okay, breakfast, guess who makes that? Lunch, <laughs> that would be you too. Dinner, that's on you. All those healthy snacks, on you, you get to do that, okay? Additionally, you're running your household, you're still the chauffeur, you're, you're the cook, you're the chauffeur, you're the laundress, you're the maid, you're all of these things. So uh, what I would tell a mom to, to help you with that, is that needs to become a family project. If you're accustomed to cleaning your house without children around, yeah, yeah you're gonna need to, to 
add responsibilities to other family members. So you're going to have to get every member of your family, even the ones who aren't schooling, even your spouse, everybody's going to have to be on board with this process. You're, you're going to have to become the best time manager ever in the world. It, you're going to have to be so very good at time management. So if you still want to help out at the church bazaar or with the vacation Bible school program or have your children involved with 4-H and baseball and soccer and what, you're going to have to be a master of how you handle your time. Okay. And there are a multitude of ways to go about that. At the time, the way that worked best for me was a color-coded calendar. I wrote each child was assigned a color. So Ben was blue, David was green. And if Ben had to be at a ball game, I wrote the time and the location of the baseball game in blue. If David had to be at 4-H, time and place in green. Uh, stuff that I did personally was in purple. Stuff that our family did together was in black. And that way I could see, oh, well, okay, we've got doctor's appointments this morning for both kids. And here's where we're gonna do school at this slot in between the doctor's appointments and the baseball game. So school today isn't from seven to 11. School today is from 10 to 12. And then we'll make up for it later on this week. The best time manager, and oh, by the way, you still have to cook all of those meals <laughs> there. And the laundry, I mean, laundry, yeah. You know, they say that the socks get together in the dark and they mate and they grow new socks. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so you keep that laundry moving. Um, one of the smartest things I did was having my, my sons assigned different responsibilities in our house. Consequently, I have not done, you're going to love this. I have not washed a load of laundry for anybody but me since my sons were nine years old. Wow. They're 28 and 23 now. I'm going to make great husbands someday. <laughs> Thank you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> no laundry. I never did. As soon as you were old enough to shoot a basket and get your laundry yeah. up into that washing machine, right. <laughs> you were responsible for it. And I would let it sit in that laundry, laundry basket in the dryer, on the, in the laundry room on the floor until it turned green. <laughs> you were responsible for that laundry, not oh. me. Nice. Well, what a great opportunity that you seized to teach yeah. general life skills. I mean, absolutely. Surely. My sons can cook. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, I'm not a short order cook. This is what we're having for dinner. You want something else? It's on you. Go do it. So they can both cook. My older son has dated a couple of girls and has impressed them with his ability to cook. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Well, how does, forgive my ignorance in this, but how do co-ops kind of play into that when you're talking about planning and doing all the things? What does that look okay. like? Okay, well, there are, there are two different ways to outsource the education while still remaining under the, the uh, guise of, of homeschooling. For example, in, in Tennessee, it's illegal for me to hire and pay somebody to homeschool my kids. However, I can't teach high school science, okay? So I found a group of people at, at a tutorial where they employed a former scientist, a research scientist, and wow. they taught my son science. So I could use that person to tutor my sons on that subject. Now, I was still responsible for making sure that their homework assignments were done. 
and make sure that they took tests and turn those into him to be graded. But then it was my job to report my grades to our umbrella school that we used. A co-op works much the same way. Students go to different teachers to learn different classes that you are, for whatever reason, uncomfortable or unable to teach. But in a cooperative setting, it's usually not, there's no pay or money involved except for maybe just registration fees or to pay rental fees at the location for the, for the facility. Um, instead, parents volunteer their time. So I would volunteer my time teaching a music class or a history class while my sons were over in somebody else's science class. And then students just rotate through the co-op during the day, um, usually based on grade level, you know, so that they can get what they need from different teachers. But because they were the children of the tutors, rather than exchanging money, we just exchanged services. Yeah from each other. While at a tutorial, it's usually parents who are seeking people with skill that they don't have and they have nothing else to offer at that point. So they're physically paying money for that service. So where, if a mom is hearing this and thinking, okay, I think I can do this. I want to at least explore more. Where does, where does she go to begin and how does she find the tools, the curriculum, the co-op? All the okay. Whatever. Yeah. Again, I would refer her to your state home education association. Okay. That would be the first stop. And then Facebook, social media is a wealth of information. I, I, I monitor at least four different Facebook groups just in the middle Tennessee area. Wow. Yeah. So they're available. So just search, you know, do, do some simple social media searches for the local homeschooling groups. Your church may very well know of some people who are homeschooling in your area. So those are great resources for you to find other homeschoolers. Yeah, that's great. And can we talk on the on the aspect of extracurricular activities? You had mentioned that your sons were involved in 4-H and yeah. different sports. How do homeschooled students get involved in those kind of things? Once you get involved with a homeschool association of some kind, you know, just even monitoring your social media pages, they they will announce when these the these groups start to meet or when the next baseball or soccer sign up is or when 4-H is going to start meeting this year. And Tennessee students can join the 4-H program at fourth grade. And I think it's a it's about that way across the several states. So fourth grade through high school. And there will be announcements posted on those Facebook pages and, and social media outlets to let you know and search web sites and find out and call extension agencies and call the local baseball team league and find out when their signups are to get your child involved. If you your child is lacking in social interaction with people, uh, there's really no excuse for that in this day and age. There is plenty to be offered. There were actually more days than I can remember that I had to look at my sons and say, we are not going to this thing today. We're not doing that. We're not going, in. we're <laughs> staying in this house and we're doing school today. We have yeah. been socialized enough. <laughs> so, Great. Yes, you can social skills yourself half to death if you yeah. don't pay attention to your time management. Yeah. So in all of this, it sounds like homeschooling takes up a lot of time. I mean, momming, parenting takes up a lot of time, but how did you find time for yourself in the midst of all of this? Um, I mostly didn't. But I've, yeah, and to make matters worse, my husband is an over-the-road truck driver, so he's gone. Right. Yeah, so while he's out hauling whatever you need to wherever you need it, I'm at home taking care of children. Uh, thankfully, I had some other homeschooling parents 
who made themselves available and I would take my sons over for a play date with them and we would exchange services basically you know you bring your kids over here today and I've got them while you go to the doctor while you go get your nails done or your haircut or whatever and then I would take my my uh, my students or my children over to them and they would do the same for me. So that was the most effective way if you can swap services like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. I know a mom who homeschools three boys and mm -hmm. she just gets away on the weekend sometimes when when it just feels yes. too much, she yeah. goes and gets a hotel room and and it's time for dad to carry the kids over the weekend. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> so, don't don't let anybody tell you, well my husband is babysitting the children this week. Dads don't babysit Right. Dads make memories. <laughs> it is an opportunity for dad to make memories with those children. I love that. I was here all week and I made my memories, baby. I'm bugging out. Okay. <laughs> Nothing but love for you. I'm leaving. Okay. You make the memories today. I love that. Um, well, as we wrap this up, what piece of encouragement would you like to leave with our listeners who are weighing these options right now? I would tell you that training up your child in the way he or she should go is your responsibility. How you go about doing that needs prayerful consideration. Homeschooling is not for everybody, but you can do it. There is nobody in this world that will love your child as much as you do. No public school, no private school teacher, nobody else has their best interest at heart the way that you do. You can do this. I did. <laughs> I know people who have taught their children from kindergarten on up through high school, and they've gone on to Ivy League colleges, gotten scholarships to go to colleges of their choice. I know them, and you can, you can be that mom that raises your child to give them their best life. At the end of the day, that's all I wanted for my sons. I'll tell you this, I am, in case you've missed it, insanely proud of the two young men that God gave to me to raise. Mm. They are two of the most remarkable young people I, that has, has this world has seen. They really are quite amazing. My older son just got back from a deployment to a sandbox uh, overseas and recently took a job, you know, since he's uh, just, uh, he's Army National Guard, he's in a special forces unit, but now he's working on the coast of Georgia as a scuba diver. Now, how many people in the world get a job scuba diving where they pay well and they put you up in a three-bedroom condo? That's awesome. That's pretty awesome. And my older son just recently got out of the Marine Corps when he returned from his deployment and is entering Border Patrol school and wow. is doing fantastic. These two guys are living their best life. Somebody told me years ago to begin with the end in mind. How do, how did I see my sons 20 years from then? And I didn't see them as scuba diving and border patrolling. No, that's not it. But what I did see was them living happy, successful lives where they were productive citizens, where they loved the Lord, they loved people, they cared about their fellow man, and they took care of themselves and those around them in a way that would honor the Lord. That's what I saw. That was the vision God gave me. And so from that, I just worked backwards. It was my job to train up my children. 
and I had to use the tools available to me. Sometimes I trained up my children with a math lesson or by reading aloud to them, which we did every night. Mm -hmm. I read aloud to them. Sometimes I trained them up in the way they should go by teaching them how to cook a meal or by teaching them how to do their own laundry. It's not hard, but it's not simple either. You can do this, but boy, you're going to have a prayer life like none you've ever experienced <laughs> before. That's the encouragement I have. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much, Francis. It was a joy to have you on, truly. Um, if people wanted to follow up with you or follow you, where could they do that? I'm on Facebook. I don't tweet or Insta or anything. I'm just <laughs> on Facebook. It takes up enough of my time. Yeah. Um, it's Francis Arthur, F-R-A-N-C-E-S. And my Facebook picture actually is a squirrel with a bazooka. My son picked that out for me when I first got on Facebook because he thought it reminded him of me being the little crazy person just trying to make the world a better place. And if I need to knock you down with a bazooka so I can get on my way with making my world a better place, well, there it is. So I've never changed it. I've left that little squirrel with that bazooka. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I don't know anyone else that has a picture of a squirrel with a bazooka on their Facebook. <laughs> Should be easy to find you. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Hey, thank you. I appreciate you too. Before we end, I just want to remind and affirm you in this. There is not one right answer. Every situation is different. Every family is different. And you know what is best for yours. I say that, of course, as the mom of a toddler or two who is just learning to trust herself. It's easier said than done but trust yourself. Make the decision that's best for you and your children. Trust your process, seek counsel and wisdom, but trust yourself and just make a decision because that decision will be the right one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Engage. If you like this episode, please share and give us a rating. Engage us in conversation on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We want to hear from you. From your house to the state house to the White House, this is Engage with Eagle Forum.